Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Bradley J. You're J talking. We're live midnight to five. This is going to be Harry Houdini Friday. Harry Houdini. Everybody loves Houdini. And actually, Houdini had uh, some ties, some activities in the Boston area. It's, uh, a lot of this is local history. We're pleased to have John Cox with us, a Harry Houdini historian and expert. How do you do, John? Uh-oh. We have ourselves a bad connection. Test one, two, test one, two. All right. I guess I'll have to do this myself. Hey, Rob Brooks. Have him uh, call back or something, see if you can sort it out. If not, we'll just do other stuff. That's all right. 617. Well, I'm not going to give out the number now. Harry Houdini. I'll give you a little background while uh, we're getting, uh, see if we can get set up there. First of all, I don't know if you know this, Harry Houdini was not really named Harry Houdini. His name was Eric Weiss. Later, Eric was kind of, turned to like Airy, and then that went into Harry. And he called himself Houdini because uh, there was another guy who was kind of a, magic- a magician, escapee type of person named Houdini. And uh, he kind of took the name. So let's try John again. John Cox, how you doing? Uh, yeah, Bradley, can you hear me better now? Oh, way better. Before, we couldn't hear you at all. So anything is, this Perfect. Is, this is great. Let me turn you up. Like magic. So thanks for coming on, uh, I guess the uh, first thing to ask you is about the the connections to Boston for Harry Houdini. Mm-hmm. So may I ask you about well, those connections? Sure, sure. I mean, Boston, um, Houdini performed in Boston a lot. And Boston was actually a very early fan of Houdini's when he uh, got, his, got his break in, in 1899. Um, he did a tour of the U.S., and when he landed uh, in, in, in the East Coast uh, in early 1900, uh, Boston was really the city that embraced him. And you see him working as a headliner for, for the first time uh, when he gets there. Um, he went off to Europe and actually spent five years performing in Europe. And uh, when he came back, he sort of had to start over. And what he found was he became enormously famous in Europe. And here in America, he had a lot of imitators. And so when he came back, he sort of had to restart, and he had to battle his imitators. But it was once again when he landed in Boston that he kind of became a sensation. Um, of course, it helped that he did a, a pretty spectacular jail escape there um, and, uh, and, and some other sorts. But throughout his career, um, he, would, uh, he would always go over well in Boston. All right. So what about your interest in Houdini? How did that take place? Are you a, a magician that, that looks up to him or – how did it happen? Well, when I was uh, 10 years old, I saw the old um, Tony Curtis biopic, uh, Houdini. I don't know if you ever saw that. They would play it on TV all the time during the, the 70s and the 80s. Um, a terrific old biopic uh, made in the 50s starring Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. And when I saw it as a kid, I just thought, wow, I want to find out more about this guy. I was kind of developing an interest in history. And, um, and so I went out and found a book and uh, – 
from that day to this, I've just been on this never-ending quest to find out as much about Houdini as I possibly can. I enjoy magic, but I really enjoy magic more as a spectator. It, it's magic history and specifically Houdini history that really um, that really fascinates me. All right, let's uh, go back to the uh, the early days. Born in Budapest, Hungary, with an entirely different yeah. name, Eric Weiss. And uh, can you talk about his his childhood and his parents and all what what his life was like? Well, he was, uh, like you said, he was born in Budapest, Hungary, even though he always claimed that he was born in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, that's because when he was four years old, the family um, immigrated to America and settled in Appleton. His father was a rabbi, and his father became the rabbi of Appleton. Um, his mother uh, was a housewife, but an interesting uh, a woman, a much younger woman than, than his father. And um, when his father lost his job uh, four years in, the family then moved to Milwaukee, and they really fell into poverty at that point. Some, you'll sometimes hear that, oh, Houdini came from poverty. You know, he fought his way up. Uh, but he didn't. They were, they were middle class um, in Appleton. They fell into poverty, and his dad never really recovered. And that's when the kids had to leave school and had to work. And Houdini became somehow, maybe just sheer force of his personality, even as a young boy, um, kind, of the, kind of the leader of the family. Um, his mother called him Little Father. And Houdini worked. He shined shoes. He did everything he could to, uh, to bring in an income. And, um, you know, and I think that's where a lot of his work ethic came from. The family then eventually moved to New York. Houdini's father passed away. And at that, that time, Houdini developed this interest in magic and entertainment. How did uh, Harry get interested in, in what he started to do, magic, etc.? Um, well, there were a couple. You, you hear a couple different stories. One that hit, that his father brought him to see a magician named Doctor Lin while uh, while in Milwaukee. Um, that probably happened. It wasn't Doctor Lin. It was probably a different magician because people were now able to look back and know that Doctor Lin, who was kind of a famous English magician, didn't tour Milwaukee at that time. But the real interest started for him when he was a teenager, and he got a book called The Memoirs of Robert Houdin. And Robert Houdin was, you know, the Houdini of young Eric Weiss's day, the most famous name in magic. And Eric read this book, and it just absolutely captivated him. And he said, I wanted nothing more in life than to be like Robert Houdin. And that was where he got his stage name from. He decided to add an I on the, name of, on the end of the name Houdin, and he became Houdini. He worked with a, a partner. He worked with some kid, and then that was replaced by his brother, right? Yeah, yeah. Originally, when he set out, um, it was an act called the Brothers Houdini, and he worked with uh, with a friend, Jacob Heyman, and um, and <laughs> interestingly, Heyman went on to perform as Houdini. Also, uh, he felt he had as much claim onto the name as as Eric Weiss did, and Houdini eventually bought him out. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he and Jack Heyman performed as the Brothers Houdini, and then Heyman went off and uh, and joined the service, and his brother uh, Theo joined the act. And he had, he had a few different rotating partners during that time. Um, but then he met his, his wife, uh, Bess, and they became the Houdinis, and they performed as a husband and wife act, really up until 1899, 1900, when he got his break. He got married quickly, right? Only, only three weeks he knew this person, and he got married. Uh, three weeks, it might have even been less. Yeah, they met in, in Coney Island. She was a performer as well, and um, love at first sight. 
and they were married uh, uh, immediately. And it's the only real romance. Um, you know, you don't hear of a series of girlfriends or even any kind of um, uh, dating. Uh, Houdini met the right girl at the right time, and she fit inside the the metamorphosis trunk, and boom, they were they were they were <laughs> they were on the road. Tell me about the metamorphosis trunk. Well, metamorphosis was Houdini's signature feat, and it's still an enormously famous uh, 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 magic effect. Um, probably a lot of your listeners have seen it. It's where the magician is handcuffed, sealed in, in, in a box, and then he, then the assistant stands on top of it, draws a curtain, and then they change places. You know, in the blink of an eye. Now, Houdini, you know, took some principles of other box illusions, but he really invented the metamorphosis. And this is when he's 17 years old. I often say, even if Houdini never became famous, we would his name would still be recorded in magic history for developing this really popular effect. But he did it with his wife, and in in this case, he would be locked in the trunk and pushed into a cabinet, and they would change places in three seconds. She would clap her hands three times and open it up, and Houdini would be free, and Bessie would be inside the trunk, inside the bag, inside the ropes. Um, you know, emphasizing speed, I think, was a really bold innovation. That wasn't something that people were necessarily doing or even thought to innovate, but who, bringing speed into it really made it a dazzling effect. And Houdini was doing that his whole career, really seeing where magic was going, or just performance art in general, and, and, and innovating in interesting ways. And it really started with Metamorphosis, which he continued to perform um, on and off throughout his career. Do you know the trick of how it works? Uh, well, you know, I've been inside one of Houdini's actual metamorphosis trunks, which was exciting. I do know how it works, but I cannot break the magician's code, of course. Are you a magician? Uh, well, I'm a member of the Magic Castle. I'm not a performing magician. All right, fair I, enough. I, 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 follow, I follow the rules. What's a Magic Castle? <laughs> or they'll drum me out. What's the Magic Castle? The oh, the Magic Castle is a private club here in Hollywood. Um, dedicated to the magical arts, and it's it's in Hollywood, and it's this beautiful Victorian mansion, and it is you know you can go there and have dinner, and there are several different theaters where you see magic performed, and it's really sort of the epicenter of, of magic on the uh, on the on the West Coast. It's um it's fantastic. It was built in 1963 by by two brothers, and it's become a you know, enormously famous. Where is it exactly? In Hollywood, if you know Hollywood, it's just right up orange from, from if you're at the, the Roosevelt Hotel and the Chinese Theater. If you just go straight up orange towards Franklin, you will see this beautiful okay. old Victorian mansion on the hill. And that's the Magic Castle. And it's an original house. You know, Hollywood used to be filled with these Victorian mansions. It was kind of the city of homes. And there are only two left, and one of them is, is the Magic Castle. So just going inside that house is, is, is something special. So it's not too far from Union Station, right? Uh, well, Union Station's downtown, so it, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a, right. of a, of a trek. Okay. Can you talk about what happened to get him a big break, John? Um, well, his break came when he met a gentleman named Martin Beck, or rather Martin Beck saw his act. Uh, Martin Beck uh, controlled vaudeville um, in the western United States, the Orpheum Circuit. He also had a deal with the Keith Circuit, which controlled the East. Essentially, he was the big time, and vaudeville was really the emerging uh, mass entertainment of its day. And um, Beck saw his act. And uh, at that time, Houdini was performing as the handcuff king. And he had a challenge act. Anyone could bring any handcuffs on stage and he would escape from them. And uh, it said that Beck got a pair of handcuffs and it on stage. Houdini escaped from it. And he thought, you know, this is 
you know, we clean this guy up a little bit. That handcuff act and that trunk trick he does with his wife is a good little vaudeville turn. And he tried Houdini out on his circuit, and Houdini really stepped up. He not only delivered on the vaudeville stage, but he also delivered in the publicity department. He arranged to escape from handcuffs in police stations, which would draw newspaper attention. And, um, and he caught fire, uh, given, given the correct venue. Um, he took off, and Beck, uh, Beck signed him. And uh, eventually, you know, he sent him to Europe to kind of get his name um, uh, a little better established. But Houdini was so successful in Europe, he ended up staying there and left Beck's management. But they stayed in business uh, throughout their life. Whenever Houdini toured America, it was on the Keith Orpheum big-time vaudeville circuit. So it was really Martin Beck discovering him. And that was after six years of long, hard struggle, you know, medicine shows, circuses. Um, he uh, he paid his dues. Yeah, speaking of dues paying, he actually performed as the a wild man of Mexico and he would pretend to eat cigarettes people would show throw into the into the cage or whatever. It's, it's true he toured with a uh, with a little circus called the Welsh Brothers and they toured exclusively in Pennsylvania and that was actually a good gig i mean it was regular work and they had food and and board he did two tours with the Welsh Brothers circus he and his wife and the story is um, the Welsh Brothers always advertised that they had a wild man in their in their curio tent and at one time, uh, some some locals said, "Hey, where's this wild man? Well, you know, we see advertised." And Houdini put makeup on, and he had this wildly long, you know, wiry hair. He messed it up, and he got in the cage and pretended to be the wild man. And yes, it, it said that they would throw him cigarettes, and he would appear to eat them by uh, by by using sleight of hand. He finally quit the wild man job when the um, when the ringmaster threw a piece of raw meat into his cage and hit Houdini in the eye. And he said, "Okay, that's I'm done. I'm done being your wild man." Oh man! So, is there anything you can tell me about how he got out of the handcuffs for these promos he did at police stations and their jails? Did, that much, did he have any particular physical skills? He could do, could he dislocate anything, or is it just you know, is it all the craft? Well, it's kind of all of the above. I mean, Houdini did claim that in order to escape from a straitjacket, that he had to dislocate his shoulders, and he said that he could do that. Um, whether or not he had some abnormality about his his, his hands um, isn't known. But he also made it n no great secret that he was an expert lockpick and that he could open in, in any lock. Now, uh, the question is, okay, so he's picking the locks, but how does he do that when it's a dozen pairs of different makes and he's been stripped stark naked and searched by, uh, by, by a doctor? Where's the pick? Well, there, therein lies, lies the mystery. Uh, but Houdini and Houdini would sometimes open some pair of handcuffs in front of people. There was a particular pair of British handcuffs, and he would be locked in several pair of handcuffs, and he would just kind of walk up to the edge of the stage, bang the handcuffs on 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 the stage, and they would fly off. Uh, so he would sometimes show people how some how he could get out of some, and then some he, he would say, you know, but this is I have to go in my cabinet and do whatever secret thing I do. So he had he had different methods. I'm not asking you to share, but you, do you know the secrets of all the methods? Uh, no, no, I don't. I mean, it's, it's it, again, you know, lock picks, and that was something that, that Houdini admitted that he did and even demonstrated how he did. Some handcuffs could be open in different ways, but I have no idea how he was, you know, how he was able to escape from all these different makes of handcuffs after being searched. Um, it is perplexing. I mean, presumably if he was picking the locks, he was concealing uh, lockpicks, but you know where? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. 
And he was an anti-spiritualist crusader. Can you explain that? Well, that came late in his life. He was always fascinated with spiritualism. Um, and spiritualism being the practice of someone who calls himself a medium, being able to communicate with the dead. And there were stage spiritualists who were really sort of just magicians gone wrong. They were magicians who made you believe that they were really uh, supernatural. And Houdini always took offense to that. And a lot of magicians did. But Houdini was also fascinated in the possibility that it could be real. And he researched it tirelessly. And in the 1920s, it had a revival of interest after World War One, and people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, were great champions of spiritualism. But Houdini had spent his whole life researching it and realized, you know, he had never found anything that that was legit. And he began to speak out on it. And eventually, you know, he became got very aggressive about proving his point by going to spirit mediums and exposing them on the spot. And it was kind of a late transformation in his career that he became an anti-spiritualist crusader, and he worked it into his show and really kind of had a revival of, of his career. It Wasn't was, there um, some contemporary who had a seance or something and claimed to have accessed Houdini's mother, and that was the straw that broke the camel's back for him? Uh, that did happen. That was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, uh, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. His wife was a medium, and they were on vacation together in Atlantic City in 1922, and Doyle's wife gave Houdini a seance and uh, you know, supposedly brought his mother back to him. Uh, Lady Doyle had a practice of automatic writing where she would just sit with paper and pen, and the spirit would, would communicate, and she would, she would write it down. Um, it, you know, Houdini wasn't convinced. Um, there was nothing about what was written that, 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 that seemed like his mother. For starters, his mother was Jewish and Lady Doyle put the sign of a cross at the top of the page. It was oh, written yeah. in English. His mother only spoke German. Uh, it was one of the straws that, that, that contributed to it, but, but it wasn't the thing that, 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 that set Houdini, set Houdini off, okay. but it was kind of the beginning of the end of the friendship of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, because eventually Doyle thought we've done you a great favor and Houdini was polite about it. But then later on, Houdini would tell the newspapers, you know, no, I, I wasn't convinced at all. And we get into the issue of, are you calling my wife a fake? And so their friendship ended up falling apart, um, a year or so after. Back to the escaping. What are some other things that uh, Houdini escaped from? Um, well, he, I mean, eventually he evolved his idea of the Challenge Handcuff Act into just a broad challenge in general, um, meaning anyone could come up with anything and he could escape from it. And probably, you know, and so he was nailed into packing crates. He was uh, sealed in, in milk cans, um, sewn inside of a, of a, of a football. Uh, actually, in Boston, he did probably his strangest challenge escape. What had happened, this was in 1911, was a, um, some unfortunate sea creature washed up in Boston Harbor. And no one knew what it was. The newspapers called it a what is it. And we've, I've seen pictures of it, and it looks like a giant sea tortoise that had maybe lost its shell or a whale of some kind. And it was dead. And a group of Boston businessmen said, hey, here's an idea. Why don't we cart this thing to Keith's theater, bring it on stage, cut it open, and shove Houdini inside of it and sew it shut? <laughs> Jonah and the whale. And they did this, and Houdini was sewn into it, and he ended up escaping from it. So he would literally take on any sort of, sort of challenge. 
I guess so. We're talking with John Cox, who knows all about Harry Houdini, which is, which I love. And we also have Michael in Boston, who would like to get in here and get involved. So here we go. Michael, say hi to John and tell us what's up. That's awesome. John, how you doing? I think all of us like hi, Harry Houdini. Hi, can you hear me? Thank you very much. Uh, I can hear you. I want to ask I you, Michael. I heard that Houdini could take a punch from any man. Is that true? Um, well, it is true, and it was something that he would boast about. And yeah. um, and it was true until he got punched by the wrong guy, or rather he was punched before he was ready. And it was one of several things right. that, that happened that kind of led to his death. But it was it was something that um, that at least – Towards the end of the life, there's documentation that he that he would boast that he could take a punch, and generally he could. And the person hit him, and he was like not ready for it, and that's what they think hit him in the abdomen or the pancreas or something like that, and that's what <laughs> causes death. What had happened was that he was um, he was in Montreal and he had lectured at uh, at McGill University, um, where apparently he did make this boast that he could be punched in the stomach, and even a student tried him there. Uh, later on, he was in a dressing room and with some students, and a student by the name yeah. of Gordon Whitehead, J. Gordon Whitehead, asked him, hey, is it true you can be punched in the stomach? And Houdini said, yes, it's true. He was laying on his, on his cot at the time, and either Houdini wasn't ready or Houdini just decided to remain laying down, but Whitehead came in and started punching him hard several times. Uh, Houdini still and he was like a professional stuntman, though, the guy that did it. There's a little bit of a mythology about Whitehead. They say okay, he was yeah. a boxer, but uh, but it's not true. He was he was actually um, he was just a student. He was a little bit of an oddball. He was a 30 year old student. Um, he he had some mental problems later in life. Um, he was sort of a character. And uh, and what happened was Houdini took the blows, but he was experiencing tremendous pain, and he just sort of you know put it off until it became so bad. He finally consulted a doctor, and it turned out he had appendicitis, and his appendix had ruptured. And the great debate is, did the punch cause the appendicitis, or did he have appendicitis, and the punch just acted to mask the pain until it was too late? People argue about that. But the doctors concluded that the punch actually killed him. And, um, and so that's, you know, that, that's the official story. Why wouldn't that guy be on the hook for, I, I don't know, manslaughter? Well, it was considered an accident, um, and even Houdini said it was an accident. Uh, he asked, and he hit me, and caught me, caught me wrong. So um, it wasn't considered an attack or anything like that. It was, it was considered a stunt, gone, uh, really a stunt gone wrong. Okay. So, can you give a couple of the his, you know, maybe three, some of his more intense escapes, close calls, the big time stuff. Um, well, I can tell you why one of the most spectacular escapes he did um, was, uh, was a jailbreak from the Washington, D.C., uh, United States Jail in Washington, D.C. And what he did was, um, was he went there, and uh, they stripped him naked. They had a doctor examine him. He was manacled. He was brought to Murderer's Row, which was filled with murderers. And he was locked in a cell with a convicted murderer, and it happened to be the cell that had once held um, a presidential assassin. So this was the, the deepest, toughest uh, jail and jail cell you could find. And there's Houdini locked in, the, in murderer's rope with his murderer. 
And within moments, not only had he escaped from the handcuffs, escaped from the cell, but he opened all the cell doors and he switched all the murderers from one cell to the next and then ended up emerging free in the warden's office. And that really, I mean, that was national news. That became headline news that Houdini did this stunt. And it really helped make him a sensation. He actually repeated this in Boston um, the following month. He escaped from, uh, from what they called the tombs. I believe that it's the John Adams courthouse now. And it was the same setup. He was stripped. He was searched. He was manacled. He was locked in a cell. And he again escaped. And he did want to free other prisoners and switch them around, but he found that there were no other prisoners to switch around, so he decided to just escape the jail itself. So he escaped the, 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 the entire building and went to the theater and then called the warden from the theater and the reporters who were in, in the office waiting for him. Uh, they begged him to come back and take pictures, scale in the wall, just so they could have it in the newspaper the next day, which it was front page news in, in the Boston Globe. So these jail escapes he did were spectacular. And he would always do these sort of public escapes to draw attention to his show. Um, in Boston, again, he, he, he would do some, what he called a bridge jump. And that was would be he would announce that at a certain time he was going to be manacled by the police um, and he would jump from a bridge into the river and escape underwater. And thousands of people would turn out uh, to witness this. And he actually jumped off the Harbor Bridge there in Boston in 1908. But he did this in, in many different cities with and or without the, the permission of the police. Sometimes the police said, we're not going to let you jump off our bridge. And Houdini would say, just try and stop me. And uh, I think a lot of people would, would turn out just to see if he would actually do it. And, and he always did. It was a really amazing time uh, that he lived. The, it, you know, science and magic was kind of, there were a lot of science things going on and they were kind of magical. Like Tesla and the stuff Tesla was doing. Was, wasn't that in the, around the time? Oh, yeah. And it was an amazing time, and it was a great. And the time was right for Houdini, and he sort of he understood his times just from the beginning. He understood the power of mass media, which was this you know, the newspaper business, which was crazy back then. You know, there were multiple editions of multiple papers every day, and Houdini learned how to use newspapers. He once said, "I'm not an advertiser; I'm news." So he would do these newsworthy events, and he would just dominate. And, um, and he also was fascinated by the emerging technologies of the day, movies, aviation. He actually bought an airplane, taught himself to fly, and became the first man ever to fly in Australia. So he's really – he was a fascinating man of, of his times, and he was you know, very much taken with, with the advances of this time. As I understand it, he actually thought that he would be remembered for his aviation and not his escaping. It's, that's true. Yeah. He said the world may forget Houdini, the escape artist, but they must always remember me as the first man ever to fly a plane in Australia. And it turns out it's just yeah. the opposite. Yeah, he was he was right. I will tell you, as far as danger goes, flying that plane was the most dangerous thing he ever did. I mean, he was only the 25th person to ever fly a plane. And a lot of those 25 died. I mean, these were just like box kites with engines um, and they crashed all the time. And so he didn't keep it up for long, uh, but it was. Now, that was a risky thing. And, you know, for all the, the thinking that Houdini was a thrill seeker and a daredevil, he was very cautious. His, his escapes were very well planned out. He was very well trained. And he did not take unnecessary or foolish risks. How rich did he get at his height? 
he was quite rich. I mean, he was very highly paid. At one time, he was he was the, the highest paid performer in, in vaudeville. Um, I don't know any hard numbers, but he amassed enough of a fortune that he could do um, pretty much what he liked. Unfortunately, what he wanted to do was get into the movie business and produce movies, and that turned out to be a tremendous drain on on his finances. So that 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 took its toll. But um, he 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 was always very well paid and uh, and did very well. But he was always you know he he wasn't someone who really took advantage of his wealth. I mean, right right you know some magicians. And you would think Houdini would have done it, would buy themselves a private uh, train because of all the traveling they had to do. Yeah. Houdini would travel a third class <laughs> to save money. Um, he, he wore kind of hand-me-down clothes. He was you know, sort of, sort of a, a brilliant man in that way in that he didn't think much about, about the trappings of, of wealth. Um, he was just on to, on to his next project. But he lived – well and, and took care of his family and took care of and hmm. took care of people i just i guess i'm going to be a different guy i would get rich and and then i would quit doing this dangerous stuff but he must have not done it just for the money he must have lived for doing it it must have given him something that he wanted that he needed well it's funny because he always threatened to retire um almost from the beginning he was always saying that you know i'm going to do one more tour and then i'm going to give it up um, I kind of think that he would say that to newspapers early on, just as smart publicity, essentially saying, this is my last tour. See me now. Don't wait for me to come back around next year. But as he got older, he really did want to stop doing the dangerous escapes. I mean, you know, hanging upside down in a straitjacket from a building, it was a tremendous you know, strain on his body. So he did look for ways that he could continue to earn a good living, but not have to do the grind of performing and that's one of the reasons why he went into things like the movie business where he thought this might be a way that i can i can film the escape and that can be shown in theaters and i don't have to do it but um he never really was able to escape uh performing because that's what people wanted they wanted houdini live accepting challenges on stage doing these spectacular stunts in the streets and he did them you know right up to right up to the day day he died so um uh, couple things if, we if he wanted to, he, he wasn't able to. A couple things we didn't cover as far as escapes. He did the milk can escape, but people started to copy that, so he, he got the Chinese water torture cell. Can you talk about both the milk can escape and the water torture cell? Yeah, well, what Houdini found, you know, he did have imitators um, and a lot of handcuff kings. And, you know, he then evolved into the challenge handcuff uh, or the, or the, the, the general challenge um, challenge act. But then he decided, you know, to event his own original creations. And the milk can was the first and brilliant. It was a way to bring death defying onto the stage. None of his other escapes up to this point were death defined. If he escaped, it would mean loss of reputation and humiliation, but not loss of life. With the milk can, it was an oversized milk can filled with water or beer or milk, depending on if there was a local brewer who wanted to challenge him to fill his can with beer, which he did all the time. And he would be he would go inside the can, inside the water, and the can would be locked shut with six padlocks, and he would be put into a cabinet, and he would emerge free. And this was a spectacular, suspenseful escape because again, now you had a ticking clock that meant failure, meant a drowning death, which is actually what Houdini wrote on the poster for it. Um, it was extremely popular, and it was rapidly imitated by others, and so Houdini evolved it into something new and truly spectacular, and that was his Chinese water torture cell, in which it was a 
not a terribly large cell, not as big as the cells you see today, but it was a cell like five feet high, three feet wide. And Houdini's feet would be locked in stocks. He would be turned upside down and lowered upside down inside this tank of water. And the stocks would then be locked to it. And it had a glass front so the audience could see him, which was tremendously dramatic. And that was really his masterpiece. He signed a, kind of brought everything together in that. And again, it would be concealed and, and he, would, he, would, he would step free. That was not widely imitated. Um, it was, you know, first of all, a very, very expensive piece of magic apparatus uh, and also just too dangerous. Uh, people did not uh, copy the, uh, the, the water torture cell. A, a few people did, but it wasn't like, like the milk can. And that was really became Houdini's signature feat. And on his, his vaudeville act, he would regularly do the water torture cell. That's what, uh, that's what people really enjoyed seeing. Okay. A few more questions if you have the time. And we've got to make sure we – you have a website. We need to give that uh, URL out after, after this on WBZ. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is your website Wild About Houdini? Wildabouthoudini.com, correct. Okay. It's pretty uh, It's pretty great website. It's very rich in content. Wild About Houdini. <laughs> Wild, Wild Maybe a little too rich. I, I update it uh, almost every day. I, you would be amazed. How is there so much information about Houdini, someone who's been dead uh, 90, uh, 93 years? <laughs> Wildabouthoudini.com. And... W- World War I, uh, he got involved in World War I, got involved in the war effort. He sold bonds, but he also taught soldiers how to free themselves from German restraints. Is that true? Uh, that is true. That is true. When, when war broke out, of course, he wanted to serve, and he went down to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the enlistment office, but he was in his 40s, and um, they weren't interested in him as a soldier, but he did his part. He canceled his tour. He did Lots of benefits. He performed in camps, and um, he did indeed invite soldiers to come to the New York Hippodrome, and he taught them how to escape from German handcuffs and man rope ties. Um, he, uh, he 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 did his part. He also made a, an elephant disappear in the New York Hippodrome. He did indeed. Um, you know, Houdini. He was primarily an escape artist. Uh, but he did do some magic, but he really kind of did magic on the spectacular level. And he uh, became part of a review show at the New York Hippodrome called Cheer Up. And they, it, this was an enormous theater in New York City. And they asked him to come up with something, you know, special. And he decided, I will make an elephant disappear, um, which indeed he did. And it was, he, he, it was the longest engagement of his career. I believe it was something like 18 weeks. Uh, with the vanishing elephant um, at the Hippodrome. It was, and to this day, there are theories, but no one really knows exactly how he did it. There must have been people there that, that saw how he did it, like that stage hands or something. You, you, you know, you would hope so. Uh, unfortunately, no one, no one was ever found. I mean, no one would be alive now, uh, but no one... That information has never made it to to magic enthusiasts. Um, in fact, we don't even have photos of 
Houdini had the elephant went into a giant cabinet that looked like a circus wagon. And we don't even have any photos of what that cabinet looked like. Maybe that might give some clue. Uh, there are some theories and probably, uh, a, you know, one of the theories I'm sure is correct. There are principles that people believe were at work, but no one knows exactly even how he presented it, let alone how it worked. But um, it was it was popular. So the, the elephant went into a cabinet and then they closed it and then reopened it and the elephant was gone. That was the basic experience of the fans. Pretty much. And even that is debated exactly what was opened. Um, but, yeah, the elephant would walk up into this cabinet. They would turn the cabinet forward, open the doors, and the elephant would be gone. Now, some people say, actually, it was only a small section that they would open. Other people say, no, the doors were fully opened. Uh, but that was that was essentially uh, the effect. Okay. He did... Uh... He combined his kind of love of movies and airplanes, the thing called the Grim Game, and two biplanes collided in midair, and a, and a stuntman was involved. Oh, yeah. well, the, Tell me about that. Yeah, the Grim Game, well, I mentioned that Houdini had gotten involved in making movies, and the Grim Game was a movie that he made um, in Hollywood and uh, for Jesse Lasky, and um, it's a it's a, it's a terrific movie. It was lost for, for, for a long period of time, but it survives now. And... In the course of the plot, the, the idea was that the, there's a biplane chase, and the, the heroine is captured and taken away by the bad guy in one plane, and Houdini jumps in another plane and chases him down, and Houdini transfers from one plane to the next, um, kind of old, old barnstorming, which was popular then. And they hired a stuntman to do this plane-to-plane -plane transfer, and um, while they were filming it, the plane's came too close and actually collided in midair with this stuntman hanging from a rope. Somehow they were able to untangle and both safely crash land and no one was killed. And they had caught this whole thing on film. So they worked it into the plot of the movie and publicity was very careful though, to, to, to not reveal that it was a stuntman. Houdini and all the newspapers at that time said it was Houdini who was actually involved in this midair collision. Um, and Houdini offered a, an award for anyone who could approve, prove that it was not a genuine crash. Well, it was a genuine crash, but he wasn't in it. But he never made that part of, of the conditions. But that's um, that was uh, that was heavily promoted, and, the, and that movie did well. Real quick, a Boston thing: Mina Marjorie Crandon. You got the, can you spend sixty oh. seconds with that interesting thing? Oh yeah. 60 Seconds on Marjorie, there's whole books written about Houdini and Marjorie. She was a very, very famous spirit medium that Houdini um, exposed in Boston uh, during a series of, of, of seances. Um, you know, he never fully exposed her. He explained how he believed she was doing her tricks. But there were people that believed and still believe that she was, that she was genera, gen, uh, genuine. But she was really, you know, Houdini and Marjorie, a wonderful match. I mean, they were, they were both professionals at the top of their game, you know, working against each other. It's, it's quite a story. All right. Boy, what a great uh, segment with uh, John Fox, Harry Houdini, historian. I hope it was fun for you to get, get the Houdini truth out there. It was fun for me. Oh, super fun. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you, John Cox. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for 
free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.